Hello, you're listening to Just Screen It, Case Studies in Creative Distribution. I'm your host, Colin Stryker, and I am not an expert in indie film distribution. I am an independent filmmaker working towards making my first narrative feature a horror film entitled The Grove. Uh, As I've been contemplating my own eventual distribution strategy, I've come to the conclusion that we need more data, more transparency, more information about how the various distribution options that are out there have worked for people. So I decided to start this podcast to help capture some of the experiences of those who have already been through it, whether successful or otherwise, and from those experiences, help both listeners and myself better understand this really complex, crazy landscape of independent film distribution today. So each week, I'll be bringing on a filmmaker who has self-distributed or been personally involved in the distribution of their film. My hope is that future filmmakers can take the knowledge gleaned from the show and use it to make their own decisions on how to best distribute their films. Hey, everybody. On the show today, I am talking with Court Howell, who, along with his brother Stark, decided to self-distribute their film Maybury Man after a less-than-optimal experience with a distributor on his previous film. Court Howell has sage advice for any independent filmmaker seeking to navigate that line between finding a traditional distributor, whatever that means in this day and age, and self-distribution. Court takes us through the entire process of making and distributing Maybury Man, including a highly successful crowdfunding campaign to finance the film, the community-supported production, and his experiences with DVD sales, theatrical showings, and streaming, ultimately capped off by a more traditional deal from a faith-based distributor. There's a lot to glean here from Court's experiences. I want to get right to it. So here it is, my chat with Court Howell. All right, Court, here we go. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Glad to uh, join you and talk a little bit about the Mayberry Man experience. It's been quite a saga as far as making an independent film and self-distribution and and everything that's involved with that. Definitely great. Uh, So I'd I'd love to hear all about that. I'll start out. I'll say I watched Mayberry Man last night and enjoyed it. Very enjoyable, interesting movie. So, you know, great job with that. And, uh, you know, just to start out, I usually ask people how kind of how they got into their film into filmmaking you know just get their origin story a little bit just give a little background on who they are and what they're trying to accomplish in the world of film so same question to you you know how'd you get started so i i didn't really intend to go into filmmaking i grew up in the hollywood you know atmosphere my father was an actor character actor for many many years and it really wasn't my thing but in college i kind of got disillusioned with being a business major and decided i wanted to be a screenwriter So I switched into TV and film, got my degree in TV and film. I would say maybe six months out of college, uh, you know, I was doing the starving artist thing. I was working as a substitute teacher. Mm -hmm. I ran into another screenwriter and, you know, we kind of, he shared some of his scripts with me and I took them home. I read them and then I saw him again. We always subbed for the same PE teachers at Burbank High School. I read his stuff and I'm like, wow, this is really good. I'm so far away from being able to write this. Yeah. So when I get, saw him again, gave him the scripts back, I said, so how how long have you been substitute teaching? He said seven years. And it was pretty much that day that I shifted my focus and went to advertising. So I, went, I became a copywriter producer for an ad agency. And so most of my production experience has been in commercials and primarily infomercials. So those, you know, in the heyday of infomercials, that's what I was doing. Yeah. And so I've only made a couple of films, small, you know, few films. The first one was 
again, self-financed uh, around 2010, 2011, little horror film, uh, which taught me a lot. A feature or a short? It was a, it was a feature. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a big feature, SAG, ultra low budget. I learned about all the pitfalls of doing a SAG film versus just getting out there and, and doing a non-union project when you're in this lower budget range. But it was a, I, I look at it as a, you know, the equivalent of a, a graduate degree in uh, filmmaking. Yeah, totally. Right. Is that, did, did you spend sort of like the equivalent amount of a graduate school tuition, something like that? or <laughs> Probably. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Right, right. Gotcha. Okay. Did that, did that go anywhere? Did you get that distributed in any way? Put it out on the internet? Like what, well, what became of that one? That's what soured me on traditional distribution. Ah, gotcha. Okay. You know, the typical horror story where you turn your film over to the distributor. And if you get some, we had an international, a foreign and a domestic, got a very small, you know, MG on the, on the domestic side, never saw another penny. And then on the foreign distributor, never recouped enough to pay, you know, to cover the expenses. Right. And it wasn't even that high of expenses, I don't think, in my opinion. And I don't know why they wanted the film because they just really didn't do anything with it. And so... It just uh, soured me on distributors in general. Yeah, I totally hear that. I think that's a very common theme. So we'll stick to that for a little bit. I know you want to talk about Mayberry Man, and we'll definitely get there. But just to just because that's such an important thing to talk about is what that kind of traditional distribution experience is like. So I'm sorry, you said this was around 2010, 11, something like that. Yeah, 12. Well, like that. yeah, okay. Yeah. And it was right in that transition where everything was sort of transitioning from physical media, DVDs into the digital world. But yet the distributors were still behaving like, you know, they had to have all these deliverables, you know, right. tape. We were delivering all kinds of versions on different formats of tape and PAL and all that stuff. We spent a fortune on deliverables. Yeah. Can I ask how you hooked up with this distributor? Was it sort of like, uh, did you initiate and kind of contact them and got them interested? Did they find you at a film festival? Like, how did that come together? I think on the foreign distributor, I think they reached out to us. I think we got some press okay. around that time. I think they they out about us. Honestly, it was so long ago. I don't remember exactly, but we were hustling. You know, we were getting it out there. We were getting coverage and media and we we screened it at a horror festival with, in front of a crowd of over 700 people and great response. We shot exit interviews, testimonials. We cut a promo reel and uh, and we had a couple of you know minor names in it. We had Clint Howard who was big in the horror world and he happened to be at that festival at that horror convention. And uh, we had Charlie O'Connell who's not really a name. His brother's more famous than he is, but. We were hoping that that would bring some some interest, but again, learned a lot of lessons. Yeah, yeah. You know, because names are so important. Mm -hmm. Getting these names that are lower level, they, you know, they're just you're in no man's land. They're not big enough names to to really get anyone excited on the distribution side of things, but they end up costing you more money. And there's certain strategies that I've learned since then on how to in involve celebrity talent. Mm -hmm to really leverage those names and get the most bang for them. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in, in a couple of minutes. I just wanted to just follow up a little bit more with like, you know, how that distribution experience was. Where, like, what were you expecting going into distributing that film? 
from the distributor? And then what did you not get? And also, if you can say the name of the distributor, feel free to do so. If you don't want to, I, I totally get that. But I always like try to get, you know, as much sort of truth out of everybody on, on the podcast. So, you know, but whatever you can divulge about that is cool. So, you know, going into it, you know, we did a horror film. I'm not even a big horror film guy, but yeah. Because the conventional wisdom was, oh, you can easily make your money back. And so I mm. was expecting to at least make our budget back. And this was before even filmmakers were expected to do their own marketing. It was like, you turn your film over to a distributor and they go sell it. And it just, just nothing happened. And, you know, the statement stopped showing up pretty, pretty soon into the relationship. You know, it was part of the deal. They give you the, the, oh, I forget what the, the rate sheet is where they, you know, the ask and the, the, the expectation, minimum expectation for the mm -hmm. different territories and all that stuff. And so it's like, well, even if we do 10% of what they're estimating, we're, we're good. And it's got nothing, nothing from the foreign distributor. You know, it's, it's a name. It's been around for a while. Archstone is who it was. And like I said, either they're completely dishonest or completely inept <laughs> in my <laughs> view of how they handled our film, because I don't know why they signed it if they had no intention of selling more than I think maybe two or three you know, territories. Yeah. I mean, they should know the product better than that to, to imply that they can sell it into all these territories. So my personal opinion, I haven't worked with them since that project. So who knows? But I would say with any, it's a similar story. I've heard the story mm -hmm. countless times from indie filmmakers. So I know my, my experience is not unique. And then the domestic side, what happened there was we had somebody at that distributor who was kind of excited about our film, felt they could sell it into Netflix. At that time, you do a Netflix deal, it's like a $50,000 deal. And by the time we delivered, that guy was no longer with the company. So it was kind of an orphan at that company and nothing ever really happened. Wow. So, okay. That's too bad. So yeah, like I guess around this time frame, are you like with the foreign distributor, were you expecting some kind of theatrical release or was this all kind of online at this point? You know, the world no, was in a strange I, I just, place at that time. You know, it was kind of transitioning into streaming being kind of the major, you know, I kind mean, of end point. Was huge yet. So yeah, yeah. But they were doing the traditional, you know, selling territories. Right. Right. So I expected them to to put the, the film into a bunch of territories and collect license fees. And it just never happened. Yeah. Realized. All right. Well, yeah, it sounds like kind of a, kind of a, a, a big eye opener for you, you know, but it was, you know, a lesson, Every, everything's a lesson, right. And, and you kind of take those things and go forward and take what you can from them and hopefully, you know, learn from that and find a way to do better next time. And by do better, Absolutely. I don't mean you needed to do better, but, you know, f figure out what the best deal that you can make is. So I'm assuming, did that lead straight to Mayberry Man or was there kind of some... No, I mean, stuff? I, you know, I, I kind of need to go back and focus on my bread and butter. So yeah, I didn't really yeah. do anything else for about eight years. And then yeah. the Mayberry Man project came about because my brother who wrote and directed it, he had this idea and he wanted to crowdfund it. And I had played a little bit with crowdfunding. We even did after that first movie, we were going to try to crowdfund a horror film and we had some, some personalities within the horror community that were on board and it just didn't work out because I didn't understand crowdfunding at the time. Mm -hmm. Kind of got off to a good start. And so I had that experience and I said to him, you can't just put this up on Kickstarter and expect people to give you money. That's just not how it works. But that's what everyone thinks. 
Yeah. And I hear crowdfunding and I see it constantly to this day. I see people will like go on social media and say, hey, we're live, you know, support our film. And I'll go check it out because I'm always curious, you know, if they know what they're doing. And they've got like five backers or two backers. It's like, I already, you're already done. You're not going to succeed because that's just not how it works. There's a whole process to it. And then for the Mayberry Man project, we really spent a lot of time gearing up for a crowdfunding campaign and doing it the right way. Okay. Yeah. So, so how was that? How did you educate yourself on what the right way is? You know, did you kind of look for other successful campaigns? Did you do a lot of reading? Like what was that process like? Definitely looked at successful campaigns just to kind of try to pick up on patterns there. A lot of the successful film campaigns had some sort of name talent or they were leveraging off of a past success, whether it's like the Mystery Science 3000 or whatever. Those guys seem to have a nice business model going. But I, I read a book. I found a, his name was a guy, Trigonis, who wrote a book on, on crowdfunding and a pretty good general, you know, cons, conceptual strategies and, and just do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. Ended up actually hiring him to do a 30-minute consult, you know, before we pulled the trigger on our crowdfunding campaign, but just just doing a lot of homework, due diligence. Yeah. yeah. It became clear that, you know, it's all about building your audience before you ever launch your campaign. Right. Okay. So yeah. How, I mean, how did you go about doing that? How did you go about building that audience before launching the campaign, which does seem like kind of a crucial thing to do because when you launch it, you want people to just descend upon it, right? Or otherwise you get that experience where you only have two or three backers. It doesn't, you know, they feed on themselves. So yeah. What was sort of the secret sauce in in kind of going after that from the get-go? Yeah. So, you know, we have a, our story is a little bit unique because the film and the topic and you know, our connection. So the, the, the Mayberry Man movie is inspired by the Andy Griffith show. Yeah. You know, from the 60s. And our personal connection, mine and my brother's personal connection to that was our dad being an actor. He actually appeared on the show a couple of times as a memorable character to the, you know, hardcore Mayberry fans. He played Doug Wash, who married Charlene Darling from the Mountain family. You know, Ernest T. Bass tries to steal the bride and all that. So my dad's in those episodes. And so he's recognizable to that crowd. And then um, my brother went to a Mayberry festival. So they still have these annual festivals. And one of them's the big one is in Andy Griffith's hometown in Mount Airy, North Carolina. So he went to the festival and he kind of had a little bit of an idea about doing a movie, but he went there. And then once he got there, got really tied into the other people that had connections to the show. So, you know, we were able to get Andy Griffith's daughter on board and Karen Knotts, uh, you know, Don Knotts' daughter, and even connected with the the wife of the guy who did all the music for the Andy Griffith show. And Mm -hmm. so, nice. you know, we got all those kind of people on board, at least as endorsements, right? From that standpoint, we really, from the time he went, he came home, wrote the script. That's when we talked about crowdfunding. And then we were like, do we launch our crowdfund campaign at next year's festival? Mm. Or do we just go and continue to build our, our fan base, so to speak? And we opted after my consult with the crowdfunding guy. We decided, no, we're going to be better off just going, do some information meetings, start collecting names and email addresses and all that. And I had some digital marketing expertise at this point. So 
set up a landing page. And we even did a soft launch of our crowdfunding because we knew we had some enthusiastic people that interested. And so we did sort of a pre-launch campaign just on our own website, raised yeah. some money there yeah. before ever launching our Kickstarter. And then our Kickstarter launched. So that that festival was in September and we didn't launch our Kickstarter until January 15th. So that shows you how much time it takes to really ramp up and to make sure you're prepared and you really have, I mean, look, I forget the percentages off the top of my head, but you know, you want to be at 20 to 30% of your goal within the first 48 hours. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. Your campaign is going to be in trouble. So we did that. We worked toward that formula. We talked to people, we called them in the week, you know, I know you want to send us a check today, but just wait till we launch, you know, next week or whatever. And so that's, you know, I feel like we did all that crowdfunding stuff right. And so we, our campaign did $151,000. Wow. Okay. Which then you also learn the things you don't, they don't tell you about crowdfunding. It's like, it's very easy on Kickstarter. So that was a Kickstarter campaign. It's very easy to make a pledge on Kickstarter, whether your credit card goes through at the end of the campaign or not, that's another story. And one of the things with Kickstarter is even people like legitimate backers, their banks, you know, flagged it as fraud and the payments didn't go through. So now you're spending a week doing customer service calls to get people to resubmit it or just bypass it and, you know, put it through, run it through your own Stripe account. If you have those tools available, which I fortunately did, so we could, you know, shift them off the platform. And I mean, Kickstarter's hurting themselves. They lost commission. Probably well over ten thousand dollars worth of of wow backers. Yeah. So yeah. So that's that's you know our Kickstarter story. And and I always point people, you know, go look at our campaign. It's it's up there forever because you'll see what we did. And it's uh, I just see so many campaigns that they just don't think they have to do it. They don't have to do the artwork. They don't have to build the audience. And it's like you're just shortchanging yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think like the whole notion of like building the audience before you actually launch the campaign so that within that 48 hour period, you have, you know, you have people that are already contributing. So it shows that there are backers and those backers, you know, they create more backers. Right. And, and so, yeah. yeah, I think that's a really great observation. And, you know, I also think that like just connecting to, I know we'll, we'll talk about once you got the film made and distributing it, self distributing it and all that, but just tying it all together as like a real, like, DIY approach to everything, you know, um, just kind of managing everything and being ready to to do that from the get-go, I think is just, you know, a really important thing for filmmakers to hear that you need to be prepared to do that from development all the way through distribution, you know, and it, it sounds like you you have a lot of experience w- with doing that. So I think that's, you know, really helpful for for filmmakers to hear about that experience. So for what yeah, it's absolutely. worth. Absolutely. And I try I've tried to help others along the way and yeah. it just falls on deaf ears, you know. What would you say is sort of the, sort of the number one failing of filmmakers who are, you know, those deaf ears, you know, what are they, what are they not getting that you would say? Well, by the, well I'd say by the time I talk to them, it's, it's generally too late, but yeah. they just don't, they just don't build up the audience and get the pre-commitments mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, to make sure they really do have an audience that wants to support them and the cause. That's probably the number one thing that people don't realize is, they say, you know, in crowdfunding, people don't support films, they support filmmakers. That's true to an extent, but really, it's it's got to be bigger than that. It's got to be a cause, yeah. really. It's 
you know, I, I think uh, Jason Horton does a great job with his horror films and really making it a sort of a cause, a purpose, do the greatest monster. We're going to do, you know, making making it bigger than just, hey, I'm a filmmaker that no money, give me some money so I can go entertain myself. You know, yeah, that's, yeah. and that's so many campaigns are kind of feel that, that, and they can't feel like that. And for us, you know, for our crowd, they're very passionate about the Andy Griffith show. So we, we were, we built the whole campaign around a theme, which was, you know, let's preserve the Mayberry spirit. Let's pass the Mayberry spirit on to the next generation by creating something new that families can enjoy together. So yeah, we had a marketing message and fortunately that's my background. So I got lent, you know, that was helpful in our project that way. Yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, there's a really great lesson in there. And I think like, you know, not everybody's going to have your film. Not everybody is going to have a film that's based on the Andy Griffith show and has this kind of built-in target audience already or target support already. But every film has to find that. It sounds like it's kind of your message that whatever the film yeah. is, whatever it's doing, it's not going to be doing the same thing as you are. Every film's going to have a kind of a different, you know, sort of set of people to go after for support. But you have to find that. You can't just go after the world. You can't just go after everybody that you're friends on, you know, Twitter with or whatever. You know, you have to find that kind of hook that makes your movie sort of a special thing that people want to contribute to. And it's, you know, obviously you did that. And I think that that's like a really important part of the message about your Kickstarter, your successful Kickstarter campaign is to be able to put in that work to kind of find who your target, uh, you know, target audience for support is. And it sounds like, you know, I think that probably translates to, you know, distribution as well in, in a lot of ways, you know, kind of that focused approach because there's so much content out there. You can't just put your movie out there and expect the world to gravitate towards it. You know, you have to find a hook to get people in. Right. And I was going to say, as far as, you know, ways to, to leverage that, as far as uh, that cause, that bigger purpose. Yeah. There's, there's sort of sub elements of that. So for us, the primary was certainly fans of the Andy Griffith show. These are people that watch the show pretty much daily and it's on you know, daily on multiple channels, you know, for multiple hours. So we knew the people are out there. That was one of the things I did early on was, uh, you know, my Facebook business manager, I just wanted to go see what the targeting was for the Andy Griffith show, fans of the Andy Griffith show. And when I looked it up, it was like well over a million on Facebook. So I'm like, all right, so I know I can put ads in front of these people pretty easily, but um, that's a kind of sort of a separate topic. But also where we got a lot of interest was people that just want to support wholesome family entertainment. So that's another cause built into it. So we had people support us for that reason. And then also regionally, we happened to settle on filming in Indiana because there was a town in Indiana that had a festival. And we were thinking we were going to shoot everything in North Carolina at that festival, but they just didn't really embrace the project. It was probably better for us in the long run because we were trying to piggyback on the festival and shoot while everybody was there. So we didn't have to travel the, the participants in. But anyway, but the, in Indiana, this region really rallied around the project. So we had people backing us because we were doing a film in Indiana or yeah. in specifically the town of Danville, Indiana. We had some people get involved in Indianapolis. We ended up shooting at the the old governor's mansion, which is a private residence now. So I'm like these historic properties because people just got excited about having a production in, in Indiana. 
there's only been a, a few big ones. Yeah. And they're still talking about Hoosiers, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. So uh can you comment on the budget for Maybury Man at all? Are you free to say anything about that? Yeah, I mean, our crowdfunding uh, was publicly $151,000. Yeah. We did private off Kickstarter as well. Yeah. Right, right. So we didn't have any private investment, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay, you know, gotcha. Where, yeah, yeah. where it ended up, I can't recall actually off the top of my right. head. Right. But I would say, you know, you can look at it like, uh, you know, $200,000, $150,000, film production budget. We had other costs. Yeah, you ongoing always do. Operation. But I would say we had so much donated. I mean, it easily looks like a million dollar film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have tons of classic cars in it. All those cars were donated. The only car we had to rent was uh, a Ferrari in California to match the Ferrari that was donated in Indiana. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The only location we paid for was a property in California, and everything else was was donated because everyone just wanted to get involved, and, and it was this big community effort. So it was uh, quite an experience from that uh, aspect. You know, yeah. That's great. So when you're involved in the Kickstarter campaign, you're thinking about financing, thinking about production. Are you thinking ahead to distribution as well? Are you thinking ahead to, you know, what what is what I'm doing now going to reflect on what I actually do with the film or vice versa? How much thought are you giving that to that? Project, we, for that project, we really didn't think huh. ahead. Okay. Because we knew we were going to crowdfund the whole thing. And the main goal was just to raise the money to make the film, you know, I would approach it differently now. Not interesting. What I know now. Okay. Uh, and really do think you should figure out where you're going to go with it. Uh, just so you, we, it's not out yet, but we ended up creating a Mayberry Man series, a five episode season. And we, we didn't really have a solid plan for distribution on that either. Yeah. Because again, it's a no name project. And no one's going to really take you seriously until they see what it is. Mm. So there's not a lot you can, in my opinion, there's not a lot you can do ahead of time unless you have celebrities attached. And that just wasn't yeah. what we were doing. So, yeah. Well, I would say that, I mean, to a certain extent, if you have a successful Kickstarter campaign, you at least have a little bit of a built-in audience there, right? You have a, a you know, you have all of those people that contributed are going to see the film eventually. You don't necessarily want them to have to pay, pay to see it, I guess, because they contributed. I don't know how all that works, but there are also people that can spread the word once it, once the film is out. You have a kind of a built-in platform for, you know, getting people talking about it, that kind of thing. So, you know, I think that's, you know, something something for filmmakers to think about is 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 making their crowdfunding campaigns also be their sort of initial launch platform for, you know, marketing and distribution later on down the road. Yes. And we, uh, we, we probably did that more than anybody. Yeah. Cause we, we were, you know, as they say, selling roles in the, sh in the film and, yeah. and user credits and all that stuff. But I wasn't, I don't consider it selling acting roles. It's yeah. we were selling an experience for people you know, these are folks that were not ever going to act. I would never charge an actor, professional actor, to be in a, a project. But we were providing a consumer experience yeah. for a lot of people. And, you know, I think we over-delivered on, on that experience. And they were just involved in the process, sometimes too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had, a, like, even during the crowdfunding, we had a, I built a team of people and 
awarded badges, you know, for different levels of referrals. Oh, nice. And money raised and and there were a lot of enthusiastic participants. And then they would show up on set and help us on set. We had lots of volunteers. And, you know, that I don't think most filmmakers do that or necessarily have the patience to do that. Right. But um, that's just kind of what our project was all about anyway. And and we could create roles because the whole thing, the, the most of the movie took place at a fan festival. And that's who these people already do that every year at these festivals. So they knew how to act the part. Right. So we had parts right. specifically written for, you know, not actors. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really smart too. Uh, you know, to just go into your production, not necessarily, you know, if a Hollywood film comes in and does what you did, they're probably not going to focus on the people that are actually at the festival. They're just going to bring in all their own people. And it's going to cost so much more money, that kind of thing. But as independent filmmakers, I think it's it's upon us to figure out ways that we can achieve you know similar results with much less expense and, but you know, kind of leveraging actual reality instead of having to create reality all the time. So yeah, I think that's a really smart way to go about it. Is there, so we'll get to kind of talking about you know, your actual distribution experiences. Is there anything kind of in the production of, of Mayberry Man that was remarkable or interesting or kind of reflects on, you know, the, the overall story and how it got out there into the world, that kind of thing? I mean, not really, other than, I, you know, I mentioned the, those locations and we had people connected to the show involved. Unfortunately, the one little side story is, you know, our crowdfunding campaign ended on February 29th, 2019, mm-hmm. whatever it was. You know, within two weeks, the whole country shut down for COVID. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would have been 2020. Right? So, yeah. We ended up delaying our, our shoot yeah. and that we shot the whole film during COVID. Oh, so wow. there were okay. other factors. So we had people that couldn't participate because of health concerns and all that. So it was a, we have a documentary making of Mayberry Man on our YouTube channel. It kind of goes into all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if anybody's curious about our process and, what that was all about and tons of behind the scenes footage and, and stories and stuff. Uh, you can find that on the Mayberry Man YouTube channel. Nice. Okay. Good to know. I'll, I'll definitely put that in the show notes so people can refer to it. So what, so when did the film, when did you actually finish the film? All right. So we we finished it in summer of, late summer of, of 2021. Okay. And so we weren't comfortable pursuing traditional distribution. So we just opted to self-distribute. Yeah. And And is that something you knew all along that you wanted to do, or is that a decision that got necessarily? Yeah. It was just something, you know, we talked a lot about Um, our lead actor, Brett Varvel is also a filmmaker himself. And so he had experiences that he shared and, you know, we had my, my experience. And so, and he's big in the faith film world and there are filmmakers that that's yeah. all they do. So yeah. distribute. Yeah. Yeah. Doing it for yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, we, we just weighed all the, uh, the, the factors and, and opted just to do it ourselves. We ordered a, you know, a batch of DVDs, physical mm-hmm. media. Mm-hmm. We had to fulfill DVDs anyway, but we did, we ordered a legit order of like 5,000, you know, DVDs. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, the truck shows up with, you know, pallets of uh, DVDs yeah, in my house. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, right. And, uh, you know, we've sold most of them. So wow. that's a good deal. How did you go about selling them? Was that just sort of a website kind of thing? Like, how do you actually, so, yeah, go ahead. For a while, we were doing a lot of in-person sales. Mm-hmm. I so see. We 
when we launched it, we were also at the festival, you know, the Mayberry Days Festival in Mount Airy. Yeah. That. But we did a lot of theatrical showings as well. That's another part of the distribution thing. This was not really my idea. It was my brother and another person who was involved. I'm like, let's just put it in theaters ourselves. We'll just start calling it independent theaters. It's like, if you do that, fine. <laughs> so we did, we did a theatrical, a little theatrical run, but it was very much, you know, week by week, certain theaters, a lot of them in Indiana that we could drive to. We did merch sales at some of those. And, yeah. And then we have, there's an, I was going to say, there's an online retailer for Mayberry, all things related to Mayberry. And so they right. buy a lot of product too. Gotcha. Okay. I was just going to ask just on the, on the theatrical, you know, it seems like you were kind of maybe not in favor of, of doing that theatrical based release, or you kind of did it with some resistance, that kind of thing. Did, uh, was there a reason for that? Is there uh, like, why, why was theatrical not kind of a big priority for you? Well, if, again, I tried to do research and yeah. talk to different folks and, you know, we didn't have a marketing budget mm-hmm. to speak of. So I didn't quite see how we were going to make money. Gotcha. Okay. It wasn't going to be that expensive to do it. What's you know, the cost of a DCP and some shipping and a couple of posters. Yeah. So you're not talking about four walling. You're talking about getting theaters to show it, to like we, the movie yes, and we, show it. We oh. did, in most cases, we did a 50-50. 50-50, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. One of them, we did an event bright, sold the tickets ourselves. Gotcha. Okay. But most of the time, it was just the theater. And then again, you're you're trusting that they're going to be honest. Yeah. 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 And what leverage do you have when uh, they don't ship your DCP back to you and it's like they don't send you a check, which right. could happen. Yeah. Did that happen a lot? Not a lot. Not a lot. But it happened at least happened. once or twice. Yeah. Okay. All right. So in the end, was that theatrical? I mean, did it actually do kind of better than you were expecting or about saying? We had so, a, a few really successful theatrical engagements, mm-hmm. primarily in towns where we had local support or you know maybe a participant in the project or whatever, and they just rallied their small town, you know, to come out and see it. But, you know, I mean, did we, I guess we came out ahead. It it was a lot of headache and work. Yeah. And we, other than sending out press releases, we really had no marketing, but I did talk to a a marketing company that that does, uh, you know, indie film marketing. Mm -hmm. And they were telling me about their formula, which is, you know, try to Try to get five to ten million dollars a box office, and then you can go get a sweetheart deal with Peacock, Universal, whatever. Right. And to do that, you should have about a two hundred thousand dollar marketing budget. We weren't going to come up with two hundred thousand dollars, so that told me what the stakes were to do theatrical. It's very expensive, and it's a high stakes game. You could spend two hundred thousand dollars, and no one shows up. Hollywood sells can spend a hundred million dollars, and people yeah. don't show up. Especially since you were in kind of the, the early post-COVID time, right? And it's like, right, there was <laughs> still that some resistance for people to go out in theaters and sit in a movie theater, you know, in a crowd, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I think we're still feeling the effects of that even three years later, four years later, you know, the theatrical experience is not what it, what it was before COVID, you know, so. Right. But, yeah. but the value, the real value in doing the theatrical, and this is something that I think any filmmakers could, could leverage, yeah. is... Your movie title is up on a marquee in a small town. If there's some sort of connection to the town, somebody in the town, a resident was in the movie or something, you can get 
good coverage in local media. You can get radio, you can get newspaper. I mean, a lot of these small towns have newspaper. We were getting front page stories on local newspapers. Nice. And these people who see this may never go down to the local theater, but right. it was up on Amazon right. for right. us at the same time, you know, to, to rent or buy. So I felt like it was ended up really being more of a, a publicity push versus any kind of a moneymaker. You just don't want to lose money and you don't want to spend too much time on it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's sort of, I think it sort of legitimizes the movie in some way, right? It makes it sort of, it focuses attention on it in a way that will drive people to, you know, when they're clicking through Amazon or something and they see the name, oh, I already saw that name in my local newspaper, I already saw that name on the marquee of the movie theater. So they're maybe more likely to click on it than if it's just kind of a random movie that they see while they're looking for other things or browsing or whatever. So, yeah. And and I, I also think that like, there's a value just in getting reviews, right? You know, you get film critic reviews, you've got now you've got material to put on your promotional materials, quotes, you know, those kinds of things, I think are. Although we didn't, oddly enough, we didn't really get critical reviews. Oh, okay. I don't, I think to this day, I don't think we have anything other than the one review that we paid for because we wanted the Dove Foundation to review the film to give it the Dove seal of approval for families, you know. Okay. And that's not really a review review. It is a technically shows up as a as a review but even that was more about hey there's no bad language there's whatever you know mm-hmm. and got it yes you know good for all ages the the i'm not sure i can't i can't verify it but i suspect that maybe the theatrical also helped with our amazon placement mm-hmm. yep if amazon picked up that it had been in theaters i mean i'm not sure how they would do that other than you know it came up on in media, you know, right, newspapers right. or something. But we got really good placement on Amazon and the carousels and new titles and all that. And so we really had a strong first, you know, four months when we were up to buy or rent on Amazon. So that's really what saved us. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, we, so we talked about, you know, DVDs that you were able to sell a lot of them kind of physically at locations. And you know, some theatrical, what else did your kind of self-distribution campaign entail? What what other avenues did you pursue? So really the only thing we did was Amazon, okay. Amazon Video Door, yeah. where we uploaded it ourselves, no middleman. And we, we released it the same day we released it in the theaters, mm-hmm. which was the week of that Mayberry Festival in, in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So that was it. Yeah. And that's all we really had the stomach for. I mean, we wouldn't, I think I may have just been learning about Film Hub at that point. I don't mm-hmm. think I was that aware of it. Yeah. Again, we made the bulk of our money in that Amazon self distribution phase, TVOD, the transactional. You know, you go, I guess you can do the same thing through, through Film Hub, mm-hmm. but you give it 20% away and maybe, maybe not, you'll end up on freebie. It's hard to say. So, I, you know, I think that was the right decision for us. But then after a little while, we showed up in a heart, the Heartland Film Festival. We, we didn't really do festivals, but I did mm-hmm. enter it into the local festival. Mm-hmm. And they selected it. And so a distributor came across it because it was in that festival. And they reached out to us. And even though it was already released, they were still interested. So basically, we signed with them in April of 2022. Okay. So our Amazon sales had had tailed off pretty much and they were still interested. They didn't care that we had it on Amazon. 
Like, no, we think we can make money with it. So we ended up signing with them and then they re-released it basically on January 1st of 2023. Okay. But they were making us money before it it was released. I mean, they did a deal with PureFlix, you know, for SPOD. I think they sold into um, Latin America, you know, before it even got released, you know. So we were seeing results. Right. Which, so if you can find a decent distributor, I think they have a lot more opportunities. Yeah. I mean, the movies on airlines, you know, it's not all the usual suspects as well, but it's been on broadcast television now. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. We've had our people see it okay. yeah. times. That's so um, those are all different channels of, of revenue that self-distribution, you're probably not going to have access to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Can I ask who the distributor was? It's BMG Bridgestone Multimedia Group. Okay. So okay. they specialize in faith and family. So that's why they were interested in, in it. And they were very familiar with our lead actor. And so yeah. Uh, yeah. his other yeah. films. Yeah. And if I can sort of speculate, like uh, it seems like maybe one of the reasons that they were interested in it, despite the fact that you'd already released it, was because in that kind of more specialty distribution mode, they have access to markets maybe that you don't have access to if you're just putting it out on Amazon, that kind of thing. It sounds like they had some, you know, targeted faith-based places that they thought that they could get it into that oh, maybe you weren't. Yeah. 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 They have their, you know, a roster of 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 uh, partners. Right. You know, whether right. it's you know, Christian bookstores or yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's terrific. So yeah, I mean it sounds like you really your kind of overall distribution experience. And and when I uh, arranged this podcast with you, I didn't know that you had this distributor story at the end of it, but you also yeah. had a very successful self-distribution campaign, you know, beforehand. So kind of the combination of those two things really did seem to serve you pretty well for this movie. And that's uh, it's, it's terrific. Yeah. I think that the story, the moral of that story is simply that you can do a lot on your own. Yeah. You don't necessarily know what you can't do. Right. Which is what the distribu- distributor experience with a legitimate distributor. Yeah, yeah. Who, who I vetted, I you know I checked them out, and I talked to people. Like, no, they're good. You're just never going to have access to some of these these channels. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah you're going to give away a chunk, uh, you know, commission. But it's in- it was incremental money for us at that point because we had already pretty much exhausted the Amazon mm-hmm. God. I mean, I suppose we could have just gone the whole you know Avod thing and and written it out, but uh, like through Film Hub or something, but we're happy with our, our choice. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like it worked out great for you. You know, it was a, it was primarily financed through a Kickstarter campaign. So, you know, there's maybe not the same kind of pressure that maybe other indie filmmakers have who are actually raising money from investors. They're kind of more concerned with maybe being able to pay those investors back, make them a little profit, that kind of thing. In a Kickstarter world, you're not necessarily, you know, too concerned about that, but was that still kind of on your radar? Like, like trying to recoup the budget, trying to, you know, pay back however however much it cost in some way, shape, or form. I think you 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 want to, you know, feel like you were successful. And, you know, one of the measures is did you make your budget back? Yeah, you exactly. Know, we're spending right. in the, you know, six figures. Yeah. Then we would like to get there. The main pressure was to get some have something to show for two and a half years of work because <laughs> yeah. we never hate ourselves. Yeah. On that project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was really the pressure. It's like, we've got to make some money with this to make up for all that time we put in. Right. I mean, fortunately, a good chunk of it was during, you know, COVID where we couldn't do anything else anyway. But, <laughs> yeah. So, 
you know, that was the pressure. Now that we have this series, we actually did a hybrid of crowdfunding and private investors for the mm-hmm. Mayberry Man series. And so we're definitely, you know, very, that limits what we can do because we do need to make decisions that are going to get our investors their money back. Yeah, right. So yeah, so with the with the movie itself, then just kind of following on that question, not maybe necessarily concerned with making the money back per se, but with that kind of badge of success, ability to pay yourself some. Are, were you satisfied with the results? Did it did it end up kind of meeting those goals, or are you I still think it did all right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Great. I mean, I think it's okay. It's I'd like to see it higher because I know the audience is out there. Yeah, and I think we're just now starting to see the. The fruits of of the Avod world, you know. Now that we're with a distributor, you've got that big lag time, and you you lack real data. You know, yeah. the hard data. You can't just log into Amazon and see how many minutes were watched this week. Uh, although our distributor did share some of that with us in, okay. when we launched, because it did take off on Avod pretty good, and they also launched on their YouTube channel. We're about to hit a million views. Our distributor's own YouTube channel, and there's there's money to be made on YouTube with with movies. And so it's like we're gonna just now start seeing some some quarterly results, the AVOD phase. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I'll be even more satisfied. Yeah. Are you uh, are you yourself or your brother, are you putting any like ongoing efforts into promoting or marketing or are you kind of move leaving that in the hands of the distributor and moving on with your lives? No, you know, I mean, it's the it's the same old story. There's just limited marketing that they're going to do. I mean, they did have they do have marketing people, so they're creating all the artwork, okay, and and doing social media, and you know, they're doing some promotion. It's not like some of them that do zero. Yeah. So they yeah. did definitely do some work there. That fortunately, I don't think we had to pay for. I think it was all inclusive in our deal. So we continued to do marketing. I. Run Facebook. I, I run the, the the social media basically for Mayberry Man. And so, when we launched with the distributor, I had 90, a ninety day schedule of daily posts on Facebook and Instagram. Probably ran pay, paid ads as well, but trying to keep that in check. Not big money. I did run some big money when we were on Amazon, and Amazon tanked pretty rapidly. Yeah. Despite that, so I'm not sure. The Facebook ads were really helping much. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really hard for independent filmmakers to be able to gauge the return on those kinds of investments. It's really hard to like get from it's how impossible. much, yeah, how much did I spend? How much did I make from that or what? Yeah. You know, it's all guesswork, you know. But, but the same ads I've been running, I'm not sure how long. Yeah. I continue to run the same ad because I get clicks for two cents. Okay, and even though I can't tell if you know if that's having an impact mm-hmm. to me, putting eyeballs for a penny a piece, yeah, two cents for a pair of eyeballs on our product, yeah, has value. Yeah. So what are you what are you working on now? Are you working on another project? I know that you've got the series that that you put out. Is there something else that you're looking to make in the future? You know, how's that going? So we're you know we're in the process of of trying to figure out distribution for the series. Okay. So we yeah. don't have a home for that yet. We yeah. have an offer from an SVOD subscription-based platform, mm-hmm. which is more just a license deal. We would like to find a bigger home for it. You know, somebody can do something with it. 
but uh, I've got some documentary projects that I've been working on, some things in development. You know, it's all low budget indie mm-hmm. stuff at this right. point until, you know, someone comes along and says, hey, I, we can do something with that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. I've kind of started this filmmaker career for me. It's kind of like starting from scratch, even though I've been in production my whole career, you know, spanning decades. This is something different. And I don't really have the, the network especially the network to raise the money in this, in this industry, this part of the industry. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm attacking it just like every other kid. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. And I, you know, I think documentaries have a, there's a potential there. It depends widely, it varies widely, depends on the project, of course, but there are certainly subjects that you can make a documentary for, for pretty cheap, you know, and and a respectable documentary and you know the same kinds of production values are not necessarily expected and that kind of thing so it's a good thing to go into if you're kind of uncertain about what the financial prospects are you know it seems to me so but anyway yeah that sounds great and you know i wish you the best of luck with with that going forward is there anything else about your story that we didn't cover that you you know would like to comment on or words of wisdom you'd like to leave us what? with anything like that <laughs> words of wisdom well I'm, it's still not clear to me what kind of living you can make doing the small indie film stuff. Certainly being in the uh, advertising world was far more lucrative for me. Yeah. So this is, a, I'm not sure how people do it. So, if, you know, if it's an independent filmmaker, you know, listening to this, you know, if you're enjoying yourself, keep going. Yeah. But don't do it for the money. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's a great thing to say right there. And and particularly don't do it, don't do it exclusively for the money. Like don't, if you don't love doing it, don't do it. You know, uh, if you want to try to get some money from it, you know, that's fine, but make sure that you're not wasting so much time trying to make money on something that you're not actually enjoying. You know, there's so many, so many better ways right. to actually make money. You know, I would also say, you know, make marketable products because yeah. you can make money and you never know which which is going to make you money so may you know approach it as a business it's still show business but just be realistic about your expectations but be smart about creating a marketable product even if it's a niche you yeah. know a very small niche you know you have an audience in mind yeah well niche can be marketable in a way that maybe something that's not niche can actually not be you know because you have a built-in audience that you can go after as long as you're kind of smart enough to actually go after that audience and know who the audience is and know how to reach them, you know? So, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Are you, are you still working in advertising? Uh, Sometimes, you know, I'm kind of a just freelance, you know, gun for hire. Right. Came off several months of uh, editing golf ads. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) products. Right. You know, so it's, if it comes along, I still have my fingers in that industry, but it kind of burnt me out after yeah. uh, many years. So I did infomercials for Beachbody, Zumba, a company called Guthy Rinker that put out all the big infomercials. And I ran myself ragged for a solid 15 to 20 years. And yeah. so, yeah, still recovering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I get that. And, I, you know, I mean, I think for like indie filmmakers, when you talk about, you know, how, how do they make a living doing it? And they don't. And I, you know, I think that's, there's a lot of truth to that. Maybe a few, a very select few do, but most don't. And most are making a living doing other things and they're finding a way to make films on the side. And, you know, maybe there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you know, maybe the the expectation that we can all get paid to make make movies is 
a little unrealistic and just find ways to make them however you can make them, I think is a legitimate way to kind of go about things in, in, in the world as it is. Again, if you can tell a good story, I mean, yeah. you can make some money from it, you know, thanks to platforms like Film Hub and even YouTube. Or just or just finding a distributor, the right distributor who says, Yeah, we can monetize that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and get that stuff out there working for you. And that's the thing. See, you know, I'm a big follower of Jason Horton. I you know, I think he shares a lot of valuable information. Yeah, sure does. You know, the secret right there is he's got so many titles out there in in the marketplace that he's I don't want to say on easy street, but it's like there's a foundational income now yeah, that he yeah. can, you know, that takes the pressure off yeah, and allows yeah. him to do it full time. Yeah, for sure. It's amazing. And it's amazing that, you know, while doing that, he still gives so much back to the community with, with all of, all of he does and he puts out there. I mean, I'm sure it's a little, it's not entirely selfless, right? He's, you know, he gets more eyeballs on his films by doing that. And, and there's nothing wrong with that either. That's a great thing. But you know, it's just, he's such a resource, I think, for the, for the community right now. It's, uh, it's great to have him around. Yeah. He was my, he was my first interview. He was the first episode that I put out of this podcast. Oh, nice. So I had, a, yeah. had a great, great talk with him. Well, and, and the information does, you know, change from time oh, yeah. to time. Yeah. You know, and he'll, but so I, I always, you know, a lot of people go into these Facebook groups and things and they just ask these kind of open-ended blanket questions. It's like, just go watch his channel, you yeah. know, there's, yeah. So much to be learned there. Just spend some time in a couple of these filmmaker groups, and there's uh, there's a film at you know there's a, a film degree in there. You know, if you just <laughs> yeah. spend some time learning yep. it. Yep, a lot cheaper than going to school for a film degree. That's for sure. Exactly. All right. Anything else you wanted to get to? And if not, just no, I appreciate you having me on to talk about it. And you know, I hopefully hopefully it's helpful. I think uh, you know we dabbled in a little bit of everything of you know you know, Amazon Video Direct and the theatrical and the DVDs and all that. And, you know, it's got to fit what your goals are for your project. You know, we had, we knew we had an audience that would appreciate DVDs, you know, so that was part of our crowdfunding. We did probably more merch, more hard goods in our crowdfunding than I would suggest, you know, multiple t-shirt designs and you get in all the t-shirt sizes and yeah. then you got to ship all that stuff. That was a nightmare because we had like 800 backers yeah and yeah i've, I've heard that something in the mail yeah i've heard that about the kickstarter campaigns like don't promise too much <laughs> because yeah. it'll it'll it's easy to make the promise it's a lot harder to fulfill it so but yeah i mean it's people can check out our mayberry man youtube channel where we you'll see so many of the videos of the process mm -hmm. so we were doing updates and stuff all along letting you know people most of that stuff's still there so you can kind of trace what we did if you want to emulate that process all the breadcrumbs are there i would suggest people check that out or at bare minimum watch our making of you know video kind of get a sense of our approach which may give you some ideas we did product placements mm -hmm. that was part of what we did as well in our crowdfunding so you know there's things to be learned and uh so I would encourage people to go check that out. Okay. Yeah. As well. Thanks for that. Um, any other contact information or social media or anything like that you want to leave? No, I mean, my, you know, I'm on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe your man's on Facebook, YouTube. I mean, uh, yeah, YouTube and Instagram and courthowell.com. It is my website, which is out of date. And uh, 
I'm in the process of of transitioning really from more of the marketing thing to more film making yeah. thing because I have so many film projects kind of at different stages. So I need to kind of reposition myself in the marketplace because I've got meetings coming up next month. So sorry, things are sort of in flux, but Oh no, um, I hear you. <laughs> That's fine. Well, I'm sure for people can find you if they if they want to, need to contact you, anything like that. Sounds good. With my name, people yeah. can always find yeah, me. Yeah, it's good to have I have one of those too. It's a it's good to have a unique <laughs> name that people can just Google and you know, as far as I know, I'm still the only Colin Striker in the world. So yeah. that makes it a lot easier. So but yeah, I'll put some some contact information in the show notes and yeah, I really appreciate you having you on. It's been great hearing your story and your perspective and words of wisdom, all that stuff. So appreciate you coming on. All right, my pleasure. All right, that's all for today. Thanks everybody for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. That is the best way that you can help me grow the show and reach a wider audience of independent filmmakers and others who just want to try to understand this crazy, crazy world of independent film distribution. As always, feel free to contact me directly with any feedback or suggestions for the show. You can find me on Twitter, or should I say X, or Instagram at DarkRoseColin, or you can email me at Colin at DarkRosePictures.com. That's Colin with one L, C-O-L-I-N, at DarkRosePictures.com. And by the way, darkrosepictures.com is my website for my feature and other projects. Its purpose is not just to promote my films, but to tell the story with honesty and transparency of my own personal filmmaking journey. So if you want to follow the process of an independent filmmaker from development to distribution, this is a great way to do that. So check it out, darkrosepictures.com. Anyway, I want to thank Court Howell for telling his story and doling out some salient advice for independent filmmakers along the way. I also want to thank Jeff Rymoot for his usual fantastic editing work. I have so many great guests lined up for you in the coming weeks, talking all things indie distribution. So please stay tuned, keep getting those movies out there into the world, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>